This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. That was the Word of God for the people of God. All right. Well, I'm Mark McNelly. I'm the Director of Outreach here on campus, and I'm really excited to be able to share this message and launch our series down to earth. Uh, last time I preached here, I didn't have facial hair and I did not have glasses. So I, ne- I need to do some work here with you um, personally. Don't project any higher intellectual value on the message today just because of the beard and the glasses. All right. There's some gray in it, Bob. I know there's a little gray coming in here. So. But uh, now I, I wanted to get a show of hands. I'm going to do a little survey first. How many of you were born? Raise your hand. Good. Statistics are solid on that. All right, good. You have biological parents. You were born in the flesh into this world. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here today. Now, some of us don't have great relationships or relationships at all with our biological parents. For those of you in the room, this could be a tough season, and I hope that God has stepped in and other godly people have stepped in and filled that void. But the reality is we all have biological parents. It's a legal reality. It's a biological reality. Philosophically, you were born because a man and a woman came together and connected. But like I said, that's not enough to guarantee a relationship. There's a personal relationship that can And as God would hope, would happen between a parent and between a child. This understanding of a parent, both philosophically and personally, is huge. And this is the way that the text today in John chapter 1 invites us to know God. There's an importance, John says, in knowing the, the massive magnitude, the awesome creating of the cosmos power of Jesus Christ. But yet Jesus is a person. Jesus is a personality. Jesus wants to relate with us. Those first three verses that you heard read over the screen and watched on the screen are are really epic, and and there's so much in the first 18 verses of John's gospel. It's called the prologue. Now, how many of you did book reports when you were in school? Another show of hands. All of us, right? All of us did book reports. How many of you read every single book for every book report that you wrote? No, you didn't. Come on, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I didn't. Most of us didn't, okay? So John, I feel like John knew the tendency of human nature. I don't know if there were book reports in the first century or not, but he wanted to make sure that it didn't have chapters and verses at the time, but of all these 21 chapters, as we look at John's gospel, he wants to make sure if you just read the first couple pages that you get it. You get what he's trying to convey. You get the central message that John is trying to deliver to us. I'm going to read the passage again. It was from the New Living Translation up there, and I'm going to read it again in the New King James. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. 
So we're going to start off today, and we're going to look at the philosophical nature of Jesus Christ. And we're going to transition into the personal nature of Jesus. On the first, Jesus is the very nature of God. Bob has alluded to that in much of his liturgy, much of his prayer today, has talked about how Jesus is God. The same, we use the terminology DNA today. Jesus has the DNA of the Father. The same DNA as the Spirit. Jesus is co-eternal. Jesus is not in a hierarchical organizational chart with the Father and, and, the, and the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. No hierarchy. Co-eternal, co-equal with the Father. Jesus is more than God's Son entering into the world. Although he is that, Jesus is more than a manger holding the baby Jesus. Jesus is more than that. Without question, Jesus is God. I want to take about 10 seconds and let that just kind of sink in because you may have grown up in church, you, you may know that, that may have been drilled into your head, but I wonder if we've taken the time to just sit in the magnitude of the fact that the baby Jesus is the eternal God. Let's just kind of sit in that for a second. Second thing in the philosophical nature of God that I want to look at is that he is the word of God. It is so important to uh, look back in the first century historical context of that word. It's the Greek word logos. And the word logos had this tremendous impact, not only in the Hebrew or the Jewish culture, in the literature of the day, in the understanding of the language of the day to the Jews, to God's people, but also to the Greeks. First, to Jews, to, to God's people throughout the Old Testament. In Psalm 33, 6, it says, God breathed the word and the stars were created. The psalmist is, is praising God for being the creator. And not only was he the creator, he was the creator through the word of his mouth. All the way back to Genesis 1, we, we see that, that Jesus is the spoken word of God as the agent of creation. In Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, it says that the flowers fade and the grass fades away, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God from the prophet and the Psalms, we see that God's people would have understood the spoken word of God as being God himself. Now to the Greeks. The Greek word logos had a lot of philosophical meaning. It was a word, obviously there were multiple gods in the Greek and Roman uh, pantheon of, of gods, but, but behind all of that, behind the understanding of meaning, existence, purpose, all of those existential issues was the word logos. It had power. That word in the Greek understanding and the Greek speaking and writing world held power. Now John knows this. John knows when he writes this the, the, the way that that word is loaded, but not loaded in a bad way. He knows that it's loaded in a good way. He knows that what he's leading to, what he's getting us to understand about the philosophical nature of Jesus is that we have to understand him the way that he is. 
philosophically, we've got to understand him. Now, when I preach and teach, I, I, loved, I came to faith uh, nine years ago in this amazing conversion experience, and I love to talk about the personal nature of God. We don't want to, uh, Bob says this too, we don't want to theologize and we don't want to philosophize God to death. We want to know him, right? We want to be in a relationship with him. But what is our relationship based on? How do we understand him? How do we know his nature, his character, and his attributes? How do we know how he's going to behave toward us? How do we know how he feels about us? How do we know those things through understanding who God is? So we can't fast forward. Uh, we can't jump over understanding the philosophical and theological aspect of who Jesus is. A.W. Tozer has a book. It's a commentary, actually, on the Gospel of John. I uh, recommend it. He says this. I love this quote. John does not disregard theology, for there is plenty of theology in his gospel. Rather, he uses theology as a ladder to climb to the heights of Christ's nature. At the end there, to climb to the heights. That's language that speaks of, of activity. That speaks of ascent. That, that speaks of moving toward this God that we understand to be the creator the creator God. We're going to move now into the personal aspect of knowing God, now that we've understood who he is philosophically. And the first thing that we learn from that is that he is the conversing God. Just the fact that it says the word. We know that God, as image bearers of God, we know that we are relational. We know that we are social because the God who created everything that we can see and everything that can, we cannot see was relational within the Godhead, the Father and the Son. Imagine the conversations between the Trinity throughout all of time. No, don't even try. It's impossible. <laughs> I can't remember the conversations that were had at the dinner table at my in-laws over Thanksgiving weekend. But imagine. Now, I often think of how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist together. They're, they're the Godhead. They're the Trinity, and, and they uh, C.S. Lewis calls it the dance, that they dance together. They have, this, they have this dance. But I don't often think about the fact that they have conversation. The fact that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit converse with one another. Now this matters because if we understand the conversing nature of God, it explodes our prayer life. Now I have a little confession for you. I, when I pray, I talk to God a lot. Um, you probably talk to God in your prayers. Uh, I talk with God. I, I, I try to get some feedback from God, but I'm highly ADHD. I'm highly relational. I'm hard to sit down for more than five to 10 minutes. And so it's a real struggle for me to just sit in the presence of God and listen for his voice. That still, small voice. Now, there are people who speak of hearing the audible voice of God. I believe that throughout scriptures, we hear that God spoke to his people and it was heard, the voice was heard. Most of us though, most mature believers, talk about sensing the voice of God, that they, that they heard something from God, but they don't necessarily mean audibly, right? I see a lot of nods. How many of you have just, you've just kind of heard something from God and you just, you know it's from him? Because of the way it came to you, maybe, because of what it is asking you to do, possibly out of your comfort zone, because of how assuring and affirming it is, you just know it's God's voice, and you hear it. 
Jesus said that his sheep, they hear his voice. He knows them and they follow him. Do you hear Jesus's voice? Do you take the time to understand that God is, God is active in your relationship with him through speaking words into your life, audibly or not, that God desires in a personal relationship to speak with you. I love how in this passage, in these first three verses, he talks about the word. He mentions the logos in verse one. And then by the time you get to verse two and three, he starts to switch to the, to the pronoun he. He's moving from a title to a personal designation. You see how he did that? Right away in three verses. It's philosophical, okay, but he's, he's a he. He's a he, and it's a relationship. David does this in Psalm 23. A lot of you, it's a very famous psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, he doesn't say the word Lord again all the way until the very end of Psalm 23. King David goes through the rest of it referring to God as he and even as you. In Psalm 23, he's speaking to God directly. You make me lie down in green pastures. You comfort my soul. You anoint me with oil. He's knowing God. He's speaking with God. God invites us to know him in that way, in a conversational way. And I hope this week, and as you enter into the Christmas season, you'll take the time amidst the crazy busyness of our cultural Christmas traditions and listen for the voice of God. Jesus is also the creating God. Now, why is this important? This is hugely important because the first three verses of John chapter 1 begin with three words. I'll give you a quiz. They're not up on the screen. So anybody, how does John 1 begin? In the beginning. How does Genesis 1 begin? The very first words of inspired scripture. In the beginning. Is this an accident? Do you think, you think John is plagiarizing? <laughs> no. John is not plagiarizing, and it is not an accident. He realizes, again, how important, not just because we're going to do a book report and not read the rest of his gospel. He realizes how important it is to get through our heads that Jesus created everything. Jesus created everything we can see, and Jesus created everything we can't see, and even more important, he continues to create. That's where it gets personal. We looked last week at uh, the, the last message in our last series was on tell. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we looked at how we can become new creations. How do we become new creations? Through the word of God. Through the creating and recreating work of Jesus Christ. In our hearts and in our lives. We do that through the difficult work, I was about to say unfortunately, but fortunately of surrender. You see, we understand that the clay and the potter is a theme that's running through scripture, that the, that the potter creates the clay. The clay doesn't tell the potter how to be made into this type of pottery or that type of pottery. It just allows itself to be used. If you're wondering today how to have the creator 
that we just read about who created the entire cosmos come into your heart and recreate your life. To have your old life gone and your new life come, to become a new creation, you have to become the clay. You have to receive and you have to surrender to the recreating work of God in your life. Now, I remember that when I came to faith, um, I was in a Christian counselor's office bawling, and I said, I, I want to change, but I don't, know how to, I don't know how. I don't know how to change. I specifically remember saying that. And when a guy got out of prison three years ago and came to our campus and, and he came to faith, we baptized him. I remember when he walked into uh, the church the very next time after his baptism, he was like, how do I live? <laughs> how do I, I don't even know how to live apart from going from hotel room to couch to motel room to dealing drugs to committing crimes. I don't know how to live a right life. Now, for some of you in here, that isn't what is creating a sense of not being recreated in God. For some of you, you continue to strive in a career. You continue to pour your efforts into different hobbies and causes and put your focus on relationships. And you wonder why at the end of the day, you don't feel like this vibrant, divinely poured into new creation in Christ. And it's because you're putting your hope in things that for many of you, actually I'll say for most of you, aren't things that can bear the full weight of your soul and give you the ultimate hope of your life, even in this, even in this life, not to mention eternal life. So where do we find this hope? Why is it important that we know God philosophically and we know him personally? It's important because it's the only source for our hope. What do you put your hope in today? What do you have your hope in? Bob lit this candle and we heard how the celebration of Christ coming means that we can have hope. God's people were waiting for the first coming of Christ, for the Messiah to come. Now as God's people, we, we celebrate the fact that Christ came and died on a cross in our place for our sins, was raised from the dead to conquer sin, Satan, hell, and death forever to fulfill all the prophecies to prove he was who he said he was. That's something to celebrate. Can I get an amen for that? That is something to celebrate, but what are we anticipating? You see, we're getting into the season of Advent. I remember when I first came to faith, the topic of Advent came up, and, it, and I was like, what is, what is Advent? Advent means coming, and it's simply put, what we're doing is anticipating. When was the last time that you anticipated the coming of Christ? We celebrate the coming of Jesus in the manger. Beautiful story. Creator God becoming vulnerable baby. It's beautiful. As we also, at the same time in this season, we anticipate. We anticipate the second coming. How many of you remember when you were a child and Christmas morning seemed like it was like two years away? All the way up till the middle of December. Justin's nodding. Yeah, you know. Christmas is never going to get here. Do you remember that feeling? I do. I remember that feeling of anticipating Christmas morning. I'm uh, almost a year married. Uh, Pastor Bob married Caitlin and I on this stage. And I remember the months leading up to that just anticipating our wedding day. 
and wedding night. We were Christians, so, you know, praise God for our wedding day and our wedding night. But I just, I felt this strong sense of anticipation. And when I look back on those two key life events in my life, I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge myself to anticipate the coming of Christ in this season, in this Christmas season. And I want to challenge you to do the same. Our application today is in the first 18 verses of John's gospel, known as the prologue, there is so much for us to learn, so much for us to reflect on, so much for us to live into, that we're going to spend the entire sermon series of Advent in John 1. And I want to encourage you to be in your daily devotion time in those 18 verses. Let's, let's for four to five weeks, let's just sit in this epic passage of Scripture. Meditate on it. Memorize it. It's an amazing passage. The second thing I want you to do is to behold the glory of Christ. Understand him philosophically. Know who he is as the creator God, but don't stop there. That's one side of the coin. Know him in a deeply personal way. Receive him, perhaps, for the first time today or in this Christmas season. Receive the word, the recreating word of God in your life. Because you're placing that adoration, you're placing that worship, you're placing that affection on something all of us are. We are hardwired and we are born worshipers, every one of us. And it's on something or it's on someone. And I want to invite you to place it on Jesus. Thomas Chalmers, the uh, Scottish pastor, says this, the only way to break the hold of an object on the soul is to show it something even more beautiful. I love that. Well, I'm going to ask you to uh, close your eyes in just a second. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes a passage of scripture very um, alludes to the very much the same things that John's talking about here and builds out on it. And as I've just invited you, as I've just challenged you to behold Christ, I want to give you some scripture to help you do that. If everyone would close their eyes at this time. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. You can open your eyes now. This Jesus can hold your entire life together. You can trust him. You can put your full faith and trust in him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you.